Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we hopefully get done with talking about the Order of the Phoenix movie. <laughs> Who knows, this episode or this this topic might carry out for the end of time until the end of time, the way that at the rate that we're going. But <laughs> so this episode is about the second half of Order of the Phoenix movie. If you haven't listened to our first half, I recommend you going back and listening to that one before you jump in right in the middle. But we need to go ahead and get started because <laughs> we went really long on the first half and I don't really have any hope that we're going to go any shorter on the second half. Yes, this is, we record these all in one because I feel like we would just repeat ourselves a ton if we like tried to split it up and it is a lot for my attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we actually move on though, we do still have a patron of the episode. So our patron of this episode is Linda. So again, thank you so much for your support. It really does mean the world to us and I love you. So there's that. I love you too, Linda. <laughs> Just a quick reminder, cause I don't think we've mentioned this at the beginning of the episode lately. If you want to be shouted out on the pod you can go you can do that by becoming a patron so you can support us on patreon if you search wizard studies podcast you should be able to find us and the perks for each like tier money wise are on there so you can give a look to those and see which one you would like the best and audrey did mention that in the last episode that our February episode is about love, our patron episode, she kind of like slid that in there super quickly. <laughs> so if nobody knew what we were talking about, one of our perks is that we do have an extra episode a month for $5 plus patrons. And we normally do chapter rereads, but sometimes we'll throw in an odd one in there. And so for February, we are doing a huge episode about love. And this is something I've literally had on our list of episodes or on my brain since we started this podcast. Yeah. It's something I think both of us are super excited to talk about. So even if you just donate to us for or support us for one month, like one time $5 donation, you can get access for that month for all of the episodes. So if you are as excited as we are about our love episode... Support us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. All right. So should we jump back into this movie? I guess so. If we have to. <laughs> so I actually like skipped a bunch of my notes. I didn't actually write things down. But we're opening up with Harry having the dream of Nagini attacking Arthur. Um, of course, an important point is that he is Nagini in this Although we don't know Nagini by name, so maybe I shouldn't. Do we know Nagini by name? We, I mean, in the books we do. Yeah, like we from learned Goblet. it in four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they just never say it in five. But yeah. yeah, so Harry awakes, or Ron wakes him up. Ron is standing over him. Yeah. And they're like, we gotta go tell Dumbledore. McGonagall comes to the rescue, escorts them to see Dumbledore. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dumbledore. Well, like, a Dumb big difference in the movie is that Harry has to, like, convince people that he's not going crazy, that, like, what he saw in the dream actually happened. In mm -hmm. the movie, like, people just automatically accept that and, like, take him seriously. Well, yeah, in the book, he, like, thinks he has to convince people 
he like starts to like argue and Hermione's McGonagall is like, I believe you. Yeah, I do. Like, he has a discussion with, like, Ron and yeah. stuff that, and, like, the other boys in the dormitory are a part yes. of this conversation as well. Um, and, again, I don't, you bring that up, I don't know if I really believe that, like, McGonagall believed what he was saying, like, fully. I feel like she it was also a part of, partially, like, even if what he's saying isn't true, like, we have like we have to figure out what's going on. You know, like, bring him to Dumbledore. If that yeah, made, you I know. think she was like, this is serious. Like, we yeah. Should, even if, yeah, even if it didn't actually happen, this is serious. Yeah. Um, and so then a big difference is Dumbledore in the book immediately sends Harry, Ron, and the other Weasleys to Grimmauld Place. He, like, does some negotiating, talks to portraits, gets people, the right people to find Arthur, um, alert Sirius that the kids are on their way but in the movie he immediately calls for Snape and they start occlumency lessons which in the book that doesn't happen until after Christmas break yeah and Um, Harry has this like outburst in his office like look at me yeah um which I don't I don't really think happens in the book it doesn't happen in the book. What does happen is that when Harry, like, makes eye contact with Dumbledore, he feels like he wants to attack him. Yeah. So the outburst, I don't, like, I don't know if I, I think the outburst is another kind of what we were talking about in the first episode, one of those, like, show don't tell, but it is more of a tell moment of, like, Harry being frustrated that mm. Dumbledore isn't, like, giving him attention, basically. Um, it just is, like, super in your face and on the nose and maybe a little bit overboard in my opinion Mm. but yeah again I think Dumbledore was being like Michael Gambon literally having his back towards Harry the entire time is also like a little bit ridiculous and over the top because I think in the in the book he's just like not making eye contact with Harry like he's looking everywhere else in the room yeah so then um they skip over, like, all of the St. Mungo's scenes. Oh, my God, I love and... those scenes so <laughs> much. Yeah, so you miss, like, meeting Neville with his parents there. You miss the Gildory Lockhart stuff. You miss just kind of, like, another part of the Wizarding World that you get to see. Um, and also Harry being moody because he, like, thinks he's the weapon that Voldemort was seeking. And he, like, thinks about running away and all this stuff. So dramatic. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, I have a note here. I think it was the, the inciting incident of this note, I think is when they're sitting at the table, um, like over Christmas and Ron like opens up his present from Mrs. Weasley and Hermione kind of looks at him and they like share this moment. Um, this movie has the best Ron and Hermione scenes, like, this sets up their romance better than any other movie in the series. Like, they are mm. so mm. cute in this movie. Like, I forget exactly when this happens, but Hermione was like, wow, that was, like, really smart. I think this is when, like, after they, after Ron and Harry, or after Harry and Hermione were in the forest and, like, the other Silver Trio mm-hmm. plus Ron breaks out and they meet on the bridge and Hermione's like, wow, that was really smart. And Ron was like, I mean, it's known to happen sometimes, you know? Like, they just have, like, cute banter. They, like, share some looks. And it's it's literally the best Ron and Hermione movie. This is, like, them being the cutest and them being the most, like, 
romantic yeah. of any Hermione, of the movies. Hermione also calls him Ronald a couple times, yeah. which I think is funny. Yeah, um, I just, I noticed so many of those moments in this movie, and I just thought that they were all so cute, and... Um, David Yates then proceeds to, like, undo a lot of those movie- moments in later <laughs> movies, so... Yeah. It's fine. Then we're on Christmas break at 12 Grandma Place. Um, they don't really, like, nothing really substantial happens in the movie until, like, Harry talks with Sirius and he just then finds out that, like, this is Sirius's childhood home. Like, what did he think... I don't, it's just so confusing. The only thing I can think of is that the timeline that we're presented in the movie before, like, going to Hogwarts for the start of the term is that Harry arrives, he has the hearing the next day, then they show up at the platform. So Mm. maybe it's kind of implied that he literally spent, like, one day there. Yeah. You know, like, two nights, one day. Yeah. But it still is, like, he still talked to Sirius within that one day. Like, yeah. it is very odd that he that we are finding this out now. Yeah, and so right before this scene, um, when Harry is, like, in the room with the Black family tree, Sirius says, like, away with that to Creature. And I guess this is kind of supposed to take the place of when he, like, shouts, like, out, Get out at yeah. him the night that the, like, Arthur is attacked. Um, so I guess that would kind of if you're like reading into it that would be when creature could have left maybe yeah Um, it's not entirely clear um and then snape is supposed to come over the christmas break like i said to tell harry about occlumency lessons and he kind of like goads serious about being useless and not leaving the house so this is another plot point that katie mentioned earlier um in the i guess in our last episode about we don't get this narrative of, like, Sirius being cooped up, feeling like he's not doing anything. Um, and, like, these things are contributing to him being reckless at the end of the book. Yeah, I do have, like, a couple notes on this. This scene, I think, is the only... The movie placed a lot of heavy lifting on this one scene. Like, this is really our only real insight into how Harry is feeling. This is the only time we get that tell that I've been talking about, like, the show versus tell. This is the only time he's like, I'm worried that, like, I'm becoming Voldemort, that, like, I'm being a bad person or whatever. And I don't think it does, I don't think it does enough, honestly. It's too short so many things aren't touched on and this is like really the only scene that we get a real look into how Harry's feeling not just like his actions due to how he's feeling like how he's actually feeling like his thoughts and Mm -hmm. feelings and I don't think it does nearly enough in this scene I also as a consequence of them not bringing up the like serious feeling pent up and being resentful that he can't leave he is such a completely different character in the movie than he is in the book like it is two different people yeah and I think a lot of like the romanticization of Sirius within the fandom and like seeing him as this like perfect character I think that like I don't know which came first the chicken or the egg whether like him in the movie seeped into the fans and that contributed to that thought or like the fans thinking that seeped into the movie that contributed to him being this like more perfect less flawed character yeah um I just like he's so like soft-spoken and poignant in the movie 
He's so much more mature in the movie. Like, he is the epitome of mature in the movie. Like, he sits down and has two, like, very serious conversations with Harry. And, like, never loses his temper. He never screams. Like... He never throws a tantrum. He literally is a completely different character. Whereas, like, in the book, he, like, mopes around whenever they're about to go back to Hogwarts. Yeah. He's like, oh, woe is me. There's literally a line that, like compares his mood to like a noxious gas that like seeps its way through mm. 12 grim old place and i really loved that sentence i thought it was like very beautifully written and really provided a lot of imagery to how like yeah. his mood affected the rest of the house um is just is kind of wild how much of a different character he is yeah all right so that's all I really have on, like, Christmas at 12 Grandma Place. I mean, they're supposed to take the night bus back to Hogwarts. That doesn't happen um, in the movie. They're just, like, magically back at Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, and so then in the m- movie, once we get back to Hogwarts, the first thing that happens, like, Harry's, like, talking to show. Yeah. And then they're, like, Hagrid is... Hermione's, like, Harry, Hagrid's back. Um, but this was supposed to happen before Christmas. It happens, like, the night after the first Quidditch match has gone down and Harry's been banned for life and all of that. Um, So in the movie, instead, they have it happen now, and they, like, really skip over the whole giant story. Like, they're just, like, all Hagrid says is, like, I went to parley with the giants. Like, okay. Yeah, I think he mentions that, like, maybe he ran into some Death Eaters, I think, that maybe mentioned. Um, But that's it. And then another difference is, like, they're supposed to sneak out at night and, like, hide under Mm -hmm. the invisibility cloak. And Umbridge is supposed to come in while they're in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is so abbreviated. No mention of Madame Maxine whatsoever. It's just this... I mean, it is, like, literally the bare minimum. Is the definition of the bare minimum. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then there's that and, really weird moment where Hagrid's, like, has that, like, monologue semi-line where, like, they're all, like, looking out the window and he's, like, a storm's coming. We best be ready uh, for it. It's, like, yeah. where did that come from? Like, what? <laughs> it's such, like, a tonal shift. And then they get this, like, very cinematic shot of, like, looking through the window with, like, Hagrid and then all of the faces of, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione kind of, Mm. like, behind him. And it just is, like, I don't, it was just, like, very odd, in my opinion. (laughs) So then the Azkaban breakout is, like, the next plot point. Um, And this is the first time we hear about Bellatrix at all in the movies, I believe, because they leave her out of the trial in four and we don't, like, hear about Neville. I think Sirius does mention her in the tapestry scene. Oh, you're I right. I think she's, like, right. he mentions, yeah. like, my nasty cousin, Bellatrix, yeah. or something. He definitely does in the book, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, because I can see it in the movie. He definitely does. Um, this is the best Bellatrix scene ever in all the movies, in my opinion. It is... When she screams. Well, when she, like, she licks it, and then she's kind of, like, stumbling out of the wreckage. Like, oh, my God, it's so good. I love it so much. I think it's the best Bellatrix scene there, like, in all the movies. I think it's so good. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
Okay, and then the next thing is, like, the DA being broken up, right? Well, so I have the Prophet theme comes back, so we, like, zoom through pages of the Prophet to, like, see yeah. about the breakout. Seamus, like, awkwardly is like, hey, I forgive you, we're cool. Mm-hmm. I, that kind of thing. And his tie is literally, like, two inches. Like, it's literally this long. Like, what... What, sir? What is wrong with your tie? I don't understand what's going on. Um, and then we hear the Neville story about his parents. Like, pre, I guess this is, like, pre right. the meeting. Like, Harry and him are just kind of, like, lingering right, before it yeah. starts. And this is where we hear Neville, like, say, Bellatrix, like, tortured his parents. They're insane. And that's about it. Whereas yeah. in the book, like, Harry knew about this last year with memories that he saw through the pensive in Dumbledore's office. And also in this book, we have already met his parents. And so everybody else, everybody being like Ron, Hermione, and Ginny, I guess, yeah. um, know about this as well. So, And so then they're in the DA, like, meeting, and they're, like, doing their Patronuses. Everyone's getting it, like, first try. Ginny literally gets hers first try. A lot of people do, like, a little wisp, and then they get it. Yeah. Um, it seems, like, what we're told about how hard a Patronus is seems interesting. In the book, they, like, gloss over a lot of the training, but it, it like, it sounds like they put a lot of time into it, and then Harry mentions, like, so-and-so's, like, chose swan Patronus, like, that kind yeah. of stuff, but. It is, it is a Patronus lesson when it gets broken up, though. Yes. So, like, that is correct. That is and about maybe the love, only thing that's correct about the I do love the, the like, look of all of the Patronuses running around. Like, it's fun. Yeah. Um, and then, God, the freaking just barging the door down. Yeah, so in the book, Dobby shows up and is, like, he, like, he can't come out and say that Umbridge yeah. is on his way because, like, she's the head, like, she's, she's her master, him. his master yeah. now, basically. Um, but he's, like, trying to warn them, and Harry's, like, Umbridge is coming, and he's, like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Um, and so, like, mayhem ensues. They try and, like, most people end up getting out of the room before Umbridge yeah. gets them. Um, it's implied that maybe they get rounded up later because she's, like, check, like, check the castle. Like, anybody who's out of bed, like, grab them. Well, so Pansy Parkinson grabs the list. Yeah. So that's how they know. But, um, Harry gets caught by Malfoy, who, like, trips him. Yeah, a a tripping jinx. Yeah. Throwback to our charms episode. Um... (laughs) And, yeah, I have a note again. Like, if they knew where the location was the whole time, why didn't she just do this earlier? What was the point of Cho having to rat them out any at all? Yeah, it's such an injustice to Cho, honestly. Yeah, and it's... And an injustice to Hermione that we don't see her great speak. I like. know. Um, it also just, like, Cho wouldn't have been at that meeting, and I feel like that's kind of, like, why... Like, why would you not just be like, why isn't Cho here? I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Maybe she was like, oh, I... maybe people didn't show up every time. It wasn't super formal. But, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, in the book, Marietta was the one to do this. Um, willingly, I might add, no implication of Veritaserum. Yeah. Yeah, it's like at least later on they kind of redeemed Cho by saying it was Veritaserum. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. Also, one thing we skipped, um, because 
Cho gets wrapped up in this is like Harry and Cho are supposed to have gone on a date. Already gone on a date and had a falling out sort of at this point. But then they like, but then they had made up because the article had already come out in the Quibbler and she was like, that was so brave, Harry. Like, I don't know if they're like romantic post that. Like if they're like boyfriend, girlfriend going on more dates, but it's not like, she is not angry at Harry anymore. Right, and then they have another um, falling out, obviously with Marietta, and like yeah, because Cho tries Harry to... went or Hermione went too far. Yeah, and then Harry's like, I think that it was brilliant. Yeah, which like, I, again, like good for him for standing up for Hermione, but like you weren't doing yourself any favors there, Harry. Like, you could have just kind of not said anything at that point. I feel like. But he yeah. just dug himself a little bit deeper. Of a I hole. don't think he cared at that point. I think that is that true. Point, he was like, nah, this is done. Yeah. Well, they had nothing to talk about, so. <laughs> yeah. And then this scene is very abbreviated. So, like, the confrontation with Dumbledore and Umbridge about the DA cuts out a lot of information. Yeah. So Kingsley actually like Imperius is Marietta during this, or not Imperius is memory charms. Yeah. Marietta like during this scene. I think it's mentioned that she, he like Dumbledore is like it was clever of Kingsley to modify her memory like yeah. that. I think. Um, and it's they like the cop out that they use is that like there's no proof that meetings had happened yeah. in between the first meeting and this one. They're like this was the first meeting. Um, and that's where, like, the modification of Myriad's memory comes in. Like, Kingsley makes it so she believes that this was the first meeting. Like, she doesn't say, oh, there were actually a bunch of other meetings before this. Mm-hmm. And so... And then, and then Umbridge produces the list. And mm-hmm. at that point, Dumbledore's like, okay, we can't really get out of this, but my way of getting out of it is going to be saying, it's Dumbledore's army, not Potter's. Yeah. So, I don't... This kind of... I don't remember exactly from the book, but I don't know if the members of the DA were actually really punished in the book. Like they're shown in the movie where they're all like sitting in that room writing with the quills all together. Wait, can we like go back and keep talking about the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That scene before we move on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, also in the book, like Dumbledore kind of like stuns everyone and Mm -hmm. he has to stun Kingsley to make it look believable and McGonagall and Marietta and Harry are the only ones he doesn't stun yeah he's like act like like no time yeah yeah um and then of course we have the Dumbledore's got style quote (laughs) which is attributed to Kingsley in the movie but is actually Phineas Nigellus Black in the book Mm -hmm. um but like Kingsley delivers it so well that like I'm fine with Kingsley taking that quote so then, yeah, to your point, I don't know that they are ever really punished. Because it seems like Dumbledore does all of that, so they are not punished. So yeah. it, I don't I don't really think that they are. I don't think they are either. Um, but in the movie, like I mentioned, there's a scene of all of them sitting like in the Great Hall using the like barbaric quills together. Um, yeah. So... And then Umbridge really starts taking over. Um, There's, like, the weird intercom system, and Filch starts, like, taking down the portraits. Yeah, what... 
what's the point of that? I don't know. Cause it seems like something that brings him joy. Yeah, well, so we see him, like, tipping people out of the portrait. And at first I was like, oh, like, he just needs more room to hang all of the educational decrees. Like, they're just, like, getting some off the wall. But then there's a scene later of, like, Ron, Hermione, and Harry going up the stairs. And there's, like, no portraits Yeah, no, anywhere. he really takes down all the portraits, yeah. Yeah. I don't know really what the point of that is. Yeah, I mean, the next note I have is about guar, guap, guap, grop. Okay, so yeah, the next thing is grop. Um, and this in the book is supposed to happen with, like, during the Quidditch match, during Ron's big, Ron's big moment. Um, but instead, how does, how do they even bring it up in the movie? Like, Hagrid sneaks up behind them. I think when they're on the bridge again, <laughs> he, like, comes around some corner and oh, is like, yeah. Psst, come with me. Yeah. And we're like, okay, Hagrid. Harry's like, what is Hagrid doing? Yeah. You're right. That's funny. Yeah, but like you said in the book, Hagrid's supposed to, like, get Harry and Hermione when Ron is playing, like, the best Quidditch game of his life. Side note, though, I really like after all of the grop stuff happens and Harry and Hermione are, like, joining back up in the crowd and they, like, both realize that, like, Gryffindor won and they're like, wait, they, like, look at each other they're like, oh my god. And then Harry, like, they watch, like, Ron get carried by and then Harry goes, like, we'll wait until tomorrow to tell him our news. And Hermione's like, yeah. Uh, and so man. anyway... In the movie, it's pretty rushed. Like, in the book, they, like, walk through the forest for a really long time, and they kind of, like, talk to Hagrid. In the movie, it's just like, whoa, here's a giant. And Ron tries to, like, attack him when <laughs> Grop shows interest in Hermione. I don't... I think it's even before Grop picks Hermione up. Or, no, it's when Hermione pick. He picks Hermione up. Ron, like, charges at him. Yeah. And then Hermione's like, put me down. Yeah, well, also in the book, this is, like, teased. You know, we're wondering what is going on with Hagrid. Like, yeah. why did it take him longer to get back why to Madame Maxie? Why does he, like, continually look beat up? Like, yeah. the the bruises and cuts never heal. So, and it, like, he seems super cagey about it. Like, oh, it, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. It's like, Hagrid, half your face is bleeding. Like, you're not fine. <laughs> um, so it's actually, like... It answers a lot of questions that we had at this point in the mm -hmm. book, whereas none of those questions were raised before. Again, another reason they could have just cut Grop out entirely. It wasn't teased at all. They did yeah. they did not set it up at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I the, don't the, have that anything whole, else on Grop. Like, yeah, the whole thing with Grop and Hermione isn't in the book either, where he like has a crush on her. Basically, I think they. The, like, him, like, giving her the thing and, like, picking her up in this instance is to replace the fact that, like, in the book, the second time he shows up, he, like, remembers her name. Yeah. Um, and then I just have, there's this scene of, like, Hagrid and his brother where you can see both of them in the same shot. And, like, I know we've kind of talked about this before, but how did Hagrid's parents work? Listen, 
they talk about them being 20. At least it wasn't the other way around. (laughs) That's true. I was, like, they say in the book, 20 to 25 feet. And Grop is 16 feet, and he's a small giant. Yeah. And so not only does that tell us kind of, like, how large giants are, but also, like, if we're going, Hagrid is half giant. So let's go 10, kind of on the shorter range, exactly mm-hmm. half. Like, he might be less than that. Hagrid being 10 feet, I feel like is something else that... He does. He never appears that large in the movies. I feel like he appears, like, 7 to 8 feet yeah. in the movies for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I... <laughs> let's continue my stress <laughs> metaphors and just say it's a bit like Donkey, Donkey and the Dragon. <laughs> true i just like not only am i questioning how hagrid is a thing but i'm questioning how like like how did they have a relationship like it's implied that they had a relationship like it wasn't a one night stand kind of thing yeah like how did where did she live like they couldn't (laughs) be in the same house i just i don't understand don't think too much about it <laughs> okay moving on <laughs> we get another aquamancy lesson yeah my next note is don't say a word against my father <laughs> which feels like such a malfoy line but harry True. says it like yeah um, so we get the snape memory yeah. Which is much less extensive. I was gonna in the say, movie. can you call it that? <laughs> we get flashes of scenes from Snape memories. Um, I will say, like, it is said in the book that like Harry sees flashes of like things yeah. from earlier in Snape's childhood. So um, Harry sees flashes when he does the like Protego. Yeah. In response, um, which is what he does in the movie. Mm-hmm. He sees flash, and then he sees like this memory but he actually sees the whole memory when Snape leaves the room and Harry like goes snooping in the pensieve and that's when he like he literally he's like there for like minutes like yeah side note I just how do pensives work like if I remove a memory do I no longer have a recollection of that memory happening so I was thinking about this while I was reading because like Dumbledore still seems to have recollection of the memories that he is, like, showing Harry. Yeah. Um, so I think that there must be kind of, like, two different spells where you can, like, totally remove it from your mind and then replace it later. Or more like, a saving it. Like, Dumbledore uses it kind of as, like, a storage thing. Yeah. Um, where I think, like, he can still recall some of those details, but he goes into it to know all of the details. Yeah. So I, I think it must be, like, two different spells. Yeah, like, the only, the reason why I bring this up is because, obviously, Snape removes those memories so that Harry doesn't get access to them mm-hmm. when he does the Protego or thing. So, like, that implies that those memories are no longer, like, in his mind. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, which is an interesting thing, like, does he, like, have memory of those that's just not stored in his brain anymore? Like... Mm. Or does he completely forget that those are a thing that happened to him when the memory is in the pensive? You know? know. That's a whole pensive episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, again, like, we kind of talked about this. It's not the full memory. We get a glimpse of, like, James 
like Expelliarmusine Snape and people being like Snivellus, like chanting yeah. like mean things at Snape and um, that kind of thing. And James's hair is not messy in this scene, so so at least I they're consistent. <laughs> I want to point out that in the book, this has like a profound impact on Harry. Yeah. He can't stop thinking about it, about how his father wasn't the person he seems to have been told that he was, wasn't the person he always dreamed he was. And another thing that bothers him is that his mother seemed to hate his father. Like, he's very, he, like, even questions, like, he's like, did, did my dad, like, force my mom into marriage or something? Um, and it's, like, a very existential thing. And I can imagine it'd be, like, a very hard thing to watch. Especially because he does not know his parents on his own. And so he's built them up. He hasn't seen their flaws personally. But he also hasn't seen that like they are good people at the core. And so I could think that would be very traumatizing. And it actually is the impetus for like he is so wrapped up in it that he did like wants to talk to Sirius. And um... That's when, like, the twins do their second big stunt. They do one just kind of for fun, and they do their second one as a distraction so that Harry can talk to Sirius, and he has a conversation with Sirius and Remus, and it's, like, the only kind of, like, mature reflection that we see from Sirius in the books. Yeah, I think it also does a really good job of kind of... We as a reader, let's say this is the first time you've read this series, like you are, you might be having an existential crisis about Harry's parents along with Harry. And so it provides mm-hmm. a good enough explanation to us as well that it's like, oh, okay. Like I, I understand now that they're flawed. Like they're not perfect. Like James still did bully Snape, but it kind of adds this like almost surrounding context. Um, like, Harry's still not super pleased with the explanation mm-hmm. when he gets it, I will say. Um, but I think, if nothing else, no. I think it really does soothe his fears about his parents' relationship. Like, I don't know if it really does much to, like, his father being a bully, but it, they explain yeah. Lily and James's relationship to him, where he doesn't question their relationship anymore, at least, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very much a, like, reality check for Harry and, I think, for the reader. Um, Because the way it's set up in Prisoner, we get such a glorification of the Marauders. Yeah, and it does, again, like, it kind of calls back to earlier in the book, at least, they talk about prefects. um, and mm-hmm. something Harry really takes solace in is that James wasn't a prefect. And so he's like, oh, it's okay. Like, my dad wasn't one. And I remember when that happened in the book. It's like, yeah, but he was head boy, which is better. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So the memory is much shorter. Lily actually doesn't appear in the memory at all. And this really does stay with Harry. Mm-hmm. In the movie, like, they kind of show a scene where he's like, he looks contemplative. I think at least. Um, Mm -hmm. But then it quickly changes to like him running into Fred and George consoling this crying first year, which like, I was like, I'm going to cry. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
I will say, so as we were, as I was listening to the book, you know, we've kind of talked about trying to pay attention to differences between Fred and George. There was an instance where, like, over the Easter holidays, I think this is actually them talking about, be, be, like, telling Harry that they would be a distraction for him. They're like, oh, yeah. you, they're taught, wow, I'm not speaking very clearly. Um, they're like, they, Fred actually says something like, we thought about... We didn't want to cause any mayhem over the Easter holidays because we thought to ourselves, why disrupt, like, peaceful relaxation of students? Plus, we didn't want to, like, interrupt anybody studying for OWLs because we know that is so important. And I, yeah, I will say that was Fred. I was looking for that to be George, but I went back and re-listened, and it is Fred that says that line. But Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I ship them. (laughs) I think it's because he he says it kind of, like, playfully. And Hermione, like, I think they say, like, Hermione has this look of, like, impressed. Like, she seems impressed that they would think that. Anyways, I just thought that was cute. So I just want to do a little clarification on the Fred George timeline because the movie turns it around so much that I honestly forget every until I read the book again. Like, it just escapes my mind. So um, in the movie, they just show... They show Harry running into Fred and George comforting this little boy and Umbridge comes and says something nasty and they kind of portrayed that as like the straw that broke the camel's back. Fred and George then decide to like have a big exit during yeah. OWLs. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and it's just like, it's a fun scene. There's fireworks and everything and all of the educational degrees fall and whatever they do their little ad for weasley's wizard wheezes and it's definitely a fun scene like it's a good scene in the movie um but in the book it's everything is so much better so in the book harry runs into fred and george at some point are just like putting on a show like setting off the fireworks the fireworks are like chasing um umbridge and filch around and fred and george are not like they don't reveal themselves as the culprits of this. Like, Harry runs into them, like, hiding out and watching it all happen. And then Easter holidays happen, and Harry mentions he wants to talk to Sirius, and Fred and George are like, okay, we can Also, super quickly, kind of the spur of Harry kind of deciding that he is going to talk to Sirius is a conversation he has with Mm. Ginny where we get the iconic line, like... Yes. Growing up with Fred and George, if it's taught me anything, it's taught me that, like, anything is possible if you've got enough nerve. So it was a super cute, like, Ginny Harry moment. And then Ginny goes and, like, tells Fred and George what Harry needs, and it's really cute. Um, so, yeah, then that's when they, like, orchestrate with Harry. Actually, earlier in that day, Harry's the career mm. advice meeting. So which good. Which is another great scene. Um, not related to the Fred and George timeline, but... Then they orchestrate with Harry to, like, get him a distraction. They do the portable swamp. And by the time, like, Harry leaves Umbridge's office, he, uh, like, comes up on the commotion that Fred and George are causing. And they're, like, calling their brooms to them. They're facing down Umbridge, and they fly off. And Fred says, give her hell from us, Peeves. And that's, like, there's no fireworks in the second, in the exit, but... The two of them together, I think just the two separate events together are awesome. And I, I get that they put it into one in the movie, and it's, like, it's fun, it's well done in the movie, but I think you you lose some of the, like, the, like, cuteness behind the fact that they did this for Harry, and, like, 
then after they leave in the book, Peeves actually, like, Peeves, like, salutes them, and then he actually does, like, give her help. They, he takes that order, and students everywhere are, like, setting off things, um, taking skydiving snack boxes. Yeah. Um, Flitwick, it's mentioned that, like, they can't get the swamp to go away, and Harry's like, I'm pretty sure, like, Flitwick and McGonagall could do that. And then at the end of the book, Flitwick does clear it up, but he leaves leaves a little monument of it. Yeah. It's just, it's this moment, I guess it's more than a moment, but, like, in the books, it is so clear that it's the whole school against Umbridge and the Inquisitorial Squad. And I think, like, some hints of this are shown, like, when Filch kind of celebrates when Fred and George leave. I think that's supposed to be... You said Felt. Oh, that's why I wanted to correct it because that was really wrong. Yeah, that would have been really bad. When Flitwick like celebrates, I think that's supposed to be a nod Mm -hmm. to like the teachers kind of being on their side. We see like the one confrontation between McGonagall and Umbridge, another kind of indication. But there's the whole like Nifflers are getting into our office, and like Lee Jordan, I guess, comes out and says that that was him. He had been levitating them into our office, and it's just so like it's the whole school is Mm -hmm. trying to fight back against Umbridge. And kind of along those lines, I have a note here that says, is it ever mentioned that Umbridge actually takes over as headmistress after Dumbledore leaves? In the In the movie. Yeah. It might be said over an educational decree. Oh, okay. Because they, like, show that scene of her wearing, like, the more, like, the longer robe. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they've mentioned at this point. I feel like they might say it in an educational degree or like it's in a profit article or something, but I'm not sure. Yeah, just some notes I also have about this like part of the movie is there's no lead up to the owl, the OWLs. Well, I almost just called them owls after we said nobody calls them owls, um, which is like it is a pretty decent part of the book like they talk about studying it's mentioned throughout like all the lessons Mm. all year um we actually see a couple examinations with uh tofty who's like harry's personal examiner it seems like because he always gets him yeah that chapter is i was reading it last night and it's such a fun chapter like i think it really is for us to break down (laughs) i think so too um i don't know it's it's this moment of more calm somewhat within this book, like real everyday life at Hogwarts, yeah. which I feel like we talk about all the time, like wanting more of, um, and this is a really good part yeah, but for that. Also in the middle of that chapter is when, or towards the end, during their astronomy exam is when yeah. um, Hagrid gets like thrown out by Umbridge and McGonagall takes four stunning spells to the chest. At her, age? At her age? She's not exactly young, is she? Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know, that's something that is mentioned by Umbridge in the first class, and then they're just taking an examination, and again, kind of just a nitpicky thing. In the book, the teachers don't carry out those exams. Mm-hmm. Like, they're standardized, so they have examiners come in to carry out the OWLs. Yeah. And then I have another note about people wearing stripes in the movie because I think Fred and George are wearing their, like, yeah. <laughs> striped long-sleeve shirts also, in this scene. <laughs> Fred and George always matching. I get they do it because I, they're twins, but it's like they wouldn't choose to choose. <laughs> and even if you say they have all the same clothes, there's no way they would wear them different intentionally times. wear them all on the same day. Yeah, and plus, like, 
they have to be matching most of the time anyways, like, with yeah. school uniforms. So I feel like when you don't have to match, you definitely wouldn't. And we know they're you know? Like. Yeah. And we couldn't tell them apart even if they're in two different clothes anyways. <laughs> like, nobody's like, I'm Fred, by the way, like, throughout the scene, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I do have a note, there's no career counseling, which I'm super bummed about, because not only is that scene with McGonagall super good, but the whole talking about the different careers that they can have is just so cool, and they mention so many things, like training security trolls can be a profession in the wizarding world, like it is just, I don't know, it does a lot to expand that wizarding world, which I feel like we love when there are moments like that, or at least I love. For sure. And then no scenes of Hagrid being unexpected. I I didn't really, I just, when I was watching the movie, I re- realized that those two things weren't in there. So they're kind of out of order, but yeah. in general. So then the next thing in the movie is after Fred and George leave, Harry like collapses um, with the vision from Voldemort of him torturing Sirius. Um in the book, this is actually because he falls asleep during his history of magic exam and has the dream. And he, like, gets out of the end of his exam for it, and he actually runs to, like, find McGonagall in the hospital wing, but she's been moved to St. Mungo's. So that's when um, they kind of, like, come up with the plan to go break into Umbridge's. In the movie, it's just like, oh, let's just go to Umbridge's office like in the book they actually do like a little bit of planning and like try to create a distraction um but it doesn't work super well either way something I just remembered with the history of magic exam in the book this is in order of the phoenix right when like Hedwig's damn like hurt that's in yeah that's in the History of Magic class, it happens. Yeah, I knew I knew it was in a class. That's what made me think of it, but I didn't remember. I must have not been paying attention when that part, when I listened to that part. Um, it's like earlier yeah, so in I guess, the year. Yeah, like the whole implied thing that like the ministry through Umbridge or Filch are kind of like monitoring mm-hmm. the mail and the post isn't really a thing in the movies. Um, but like there's a scene where like Hedwig brings him a letter when he's in History of Magic and is like her wing is hurt Mm -hmm. um and they had like read a letter from serious it's this letter saying like same time tonight and yeah and that's when then serious joins the flu and and umbridge grabs at him yeah so i just remembered that sorry um yeah no good point but yeah so this kind of calls back again to the fred and george thing being condensed into one part of that i think is due to the fact that like harry only goes to umbridge's office Mm -hmm once and they kind of, not that he goes to it twice in the book but like they conflate these two instances where he tries to use the the fire he in tried, her office yeah. to talk to Sirius and then the second one is like they get brought to Umbridge's office in, right? in the book he is trying to he does the flute behind oh yeah them. they like walk in he talks there to and creature. they're like oh shoot yeah. Yeah. But then she like finds them pretty quickly. But he does talk to creature. Yeah. Um. But those two instances are combined in the movie. In the movie, yes. yeah. Um. Yeah. So then, like, she calls on Snape, and he says that he she used the last 
in the in the movie he says she used the last of the Veritaserum on Cho. In the book he says she used the last of it on Harry. Um, but we actually find out later that that was not real Veritaserum. Um, well, Harry didn't drink it. Even though Harry didn't drink so. it, yeah. Yeah. So, honestly, if they're going to, like, accuse Cho in the movie, I guess it's good that they, like, kind of give her a cop-out. Um, yeah. But, like, you could have just avoided that from the beginning. Yeah. Just, um, again, like, with the two instances, Harry... I guess he's trying to, like, use the flu network to appear at the Ministry of Magic, where, like, that is never, like, in the movie. Oh. Like, he's getting ready. I think it's, no, I think it's to talk to Sirius, no? Do they bring that up in the movie at all? They never. Like, checking with Sirius? They never actually do it. They get caught right away. But I, th- I always thought it was supposed to be that he was going to... I thought Hermione said we need to check. But maybe not. Maybe that's just me no. thinking of what happens in the book. Yeah, I don't know. I got the impression that like he was getting ready to use that to get to the Ministry of Magic. Maybe. But that could be completely wrong. I'm not sure. I have no idea. I don't know that they say either way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Umbridge about to Crucio Harry. And then Hermione kind of improvs. Yeah, and again, this is also kind of unclear what her motivations are, but I do think they're somewhat different than they are in the book. Because in the book, it's implied that, like, she was not trying to lead them to Grob. Yeah. She was trying to get the centaurs to mm-hmm. intervene. And in this, like, you can tell that she's being loud, but I feel like they set it up for her to be leading them to Grob, not the centaurs. Because the centaurs thing hasn't been you set up. Yeah, you haven't met the centaurs yet, so yeah. Again, like, it's not super clear, but in the book, Grop was not part of her plan. Yeah. We know that for sure. Harry specifically says she was take she was not taking the path they took to get to Grop. Yeah, she was actually taking the path that to, they got to Aragog. Yeah, she so. didn't know that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so again, like, the centaur side plot is not a thing. Frenzy being the professor is not a thing. And the centaurs never speak in the movie. I don't know if you noticed that, but they just, like, show up. Yeah, and... And they're, they say no words. Umbridge starts attacking them. I will say the tiniest nod was kind of made to the center side plot. As Hagrid's taking them to Grop, he's like, mm-hmm. they like a herd runs by, and Hagrid's like, if the Ministry restricts their lands anymore, like there's gonna be a full blown riot. Yeah, he alludes to it, but that's also not like the main problem in the book. The main problem is Ferenc. Yeah. Yeah, and then, again, in this point, the centaurs don't try and, like, punish Harry and Hermione like they try to in the book. After they find out that Hermione was just using them, they just kind of, like, run away with Umbridge and peace out. Yeah. They also don't attack Grop as much as they do in the book. No, in the movie, it kind of seems like Grop and the centaurs are, like, working together. Yeah. Um, We also get the great line of Harry saying, I'm sorry, Professor, I must not tell lies. It's a good one. Yeah. And if you want to hear our thoughts on the Umbridge thing and some yeah. speculation people have done about what happened, check out our Umbridge episode. Yes. Okay, so in the in the movie, they have Ron and company get away from Malfoy and them using puking pastels. Um, mm-hmm. But in the book, they actually, like, stun and disarm them. And Ginny does a great bat bogey hex on Malfoy, which is her signature move. Yeah. I think it's at least the second time it's brought up in this book. 
Because Fred and George say something about, like, you've never been on the end of one of her bat bogey hexes yeah. then. Yeah, and then she does it again at the beginning of six on the Hot train. blood, yeah. yeah. Um, I just have another note, because this is when that scene happens I was talking about with Ron and Hermione. Yeah. Or, yeah, Ron and Hermione, where Ron's like, it does. it's known to happen from time to time. Just so cute. And then they, then they get on the Thestrals with no discussion that all of them are going. Like, there's a little moment yeah. where Harry's like, I'm going to go or something, but it's not the big thing that is in the book where he's really trying to get them not to come. Yeah, and they also make no point about the fact that, like, half of them can't see the Thestrals that they're riding to the Ministry, like, hundreds of yeah. miles. <laughs> also, just kind of another out-of-order note I have here is that there's no Sturgis Podmore or Bo- mm-hmm. Roderick Bode subplot. Which, that which, is how Harry figures out that the Department of Mysteries is the place to go. Yeah, again, like, it's not super critical, I'd say, to the story. Yeah. Um, But they are just, like, kind of easter eggs and like breadcrumbs that lead to the overall mystery yeah surrounding like what the weapon is where it is and that kind of thing so like Sturgis Podmore just to explain if you haven't read the book in a while Sturgis Podmore and is like gets imperious and they try and use him to get into the department of mysteries like Voldemort and the Death Eaters to take the prophecy but as we find out that's how they find out that only the person who the prophecy was made about can get prophecy Mm -hmm. and then bode was attacked outside while he was at guard duty and then he was killed using devil snare that they sneak into the saint mungos bode was actually not in the order he was an unspeakable that they imperious i thought sturgis podmore was no sturgis is sturgis got arrested sorry i zoned out that's right that's right just got arrested um because he was on ministry premises trying to get through the door, but he had been yeah, like imperious. He, I got that to get he through. was imperious. I think they had both been yeah. imperious. And then Bode was an unspeakable that they tried to imperious. Or they tried to torture, I think. They tortured Bode. That like answers out of Yeah, him. and then they used the devil stare on him in San Mungo's. Yeah, sorry, I got that semi no, mixed up. Okay. Um,. So, yeah, then they're just at the ministry, and they get a right to the Hall of Prophecies with no complications. Yeah, and it's just, like, there are so many cool things in the Department of Mysteries, and I'm going to gripe about this before, right now, and also once they leave the Hall of Prophecies, but... Yeah. They do do the cool, like, room that, like, spins around, and they have to mark the doors, and they kind of, like, see into places. Um, they see the brains... And then they come back to that later. Um, there's a locked door, which Dumbledore says later. It, they study love in there. Because he says that, like, the thing behind the locked door is, like, what makes you different from Voldemort. Um, it, like, melts Harry's knife. Yeah, the locked door. Yeah, it melts yeah. The, Harry's knife from Sirius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just so cool and, like, uh, Okay, let's talk about the Hall of Prophecies, and then we can talk about the battle, because that's when most of the battle happens. Um, I do really like the look of the prophecies. I think they look really cool. I like how they're kind of all different sizes, um, and, like, how they are glowing and kind of moving. Yeah. I really like that. Because Harry mentions that, like, it feels warm when he grabs it in the book. Um, So, yeah, in the the movie, in the Hall of Prophecies, 
in, in the Hall of Prophecies, Lucius Malfoy pretty much just shows up um, with all the Death Eaters around him. And then they talk for a little bit. And then Harry tells everybody now. And they just, like, basically blow the place up and run. Like, it's just, like, yeah. running around yelling stupefy, yelling reducto. And well, shell before is that, falling. he picks up the prophecy and hears it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is not supposed to no. happen at all. Also, it's, like, only a third of the actual prophecy. Yeah. Um, we don't hear the rest of it. Yeah. And I guess, like, because Dumbledore, Harry doesn't hear it at the Department of Mysteries, and it breaks before anybody mm-hmm. can hear it. But later we found out that Dumbledore was the one that the prophecy was made to. And so at the end of the book, when, like, Dumbledore and Harry have their annual sit-down debrief of the year, Dumbledore tells him what the prophecy was. Yeah, he shows him it in the Pensee. Yeah, so that really bothers me. Yeah. But I guess, like, they needed it, it was a way said. for them not to, yeah. yeah, not to have, like, the longer debrief at the end. Um, but, yeah, just, like, in the movie, Lucius and the Death Eaters are kind of implied to be, like, laying in wait yeah. until Harry grabs it. And then that's when they are, like, okay, let's get this moving. Because they can't take it. Harry yeah. has to be the one to remove it from the shelf. And so then in the book, when they show up, like, Lucius, like, said, Harry doesn't know it's a prophecy yet. And Lucius kind of, like, says like hand over the prophecy and they're like what he's like what and Lucius actually like starts to explain to him like didn't you ever wonder like why Voldemort tried to kill you blah 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 and so he's kind of like baiting him with that stuff and Bellatrix is just like kind of unhinged as always trying to just like get it and Lucius is like no like we can't we can kill all the other ones but we can't touch Harry until we have the prophecy because we don't want to break it um yeah and so that's how, like, Harry and Co. get out of there, but they end up in different rooms. So then for the majority of the battle, you're with Harry, Hermione, and Neville, and Ron, Ginny, and Luna are, like, elsewhere. Um, you can hear them. And they, like, Harry, Hermione, and Neville, like, fight off that guy, that Death Eater, and, like, he gets pushed into the time cabinet, and his head yes. keeps going from, like, baby to adult to baby, and it's, like, that's freaky. So it's McNair and who was who was that one? I don't. It wasn't Rodolphus. I don't think they ever named. It wasn't him. yeah. Was it Rockwood? No, because I feel like Rockwood's fine at the end. I feel like this guy doesn't get a name. True. He might. Although not have, they actually, Lucius says everybody's name, so I don't know. But it's like not someone. Because I think for the rest of the battle, he's just like stumbling around with a baby's head. Yeah. <laughs> um. Sorry, kind of, like, moving backwards just a little bit. I have a couple notes before. Mm. Like, going back to the movie timeline, not the book timeline. Um, It was Harry's idea to break the prophecies. Like, it was a plan. They're like, we're going to use this as a distraction. Like, on my count, break prophecies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, When they're still in the Hall of Prophecies. Um, In the the movie, like, Ginny just kind of ruins the hall of yeah. by herself yes. um also i have a note here so like lucius has his cane right he like whips out his wand and then he just has to hold the other part of his cane <laughs> the entire time like um anyways so yeah the time then this is where like things really diverge from the book and movie kind of like audrey was talking like and some like real shit happens yeah that doesn't happen in the movie yeah so like hermione gets knocked out 
Um, she gets like some weird like slash thing to her chest. Um, and she's unconscious, but Harry and Neville can tell that like she still has a pulse. Neville yeah, is Neville like checks face is bleeding and he can't speak basically. Like Well, his nose is broken. He, his nose is broken and I think he has like a fat lip. So like for the rest of the battle he's like stupefied. Like he can't can't yeah. talk. Um if you've ever listened to the I don't know about the What's the British guy who does the audiobooks? Why well, can't I think of his name? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, if you listen to the Jim Dale version of the audiobooks, him doing the Neville, like, plug nose is so ridiculous. <laughs> it is, like, really, really funny. Um, so, yeah, Neville's wand gets broken, too. And he's just, like, basically carrying Hermione around at this point. And then they run back into Ron and Ginny and Luna. Ginny's ankle is broken, and she can't really walk. Ron is, like, kind of acting like he's high. Like... I was gonna say drunk. <laughs> drunk something. He's like giggling. He's loopy. He's loopy. And Luna's fine, but then eventually she gets stunned, I think. Um, yeah. And Ron gets like full on strangled by the brains because he goes to touch them because he's like, ooh, Harry, look at this. Um, yeah. So basically they all fall apart and they end up leaving. H- Harry leaves the rest of them and runs into the death chamber, the room with the veil. Um, and he, like, hopes that Neville will stay with them and, like, try to get them out of there and try to help Ron, but then Neville follows him in there, so, like, the other four are just, like, passed out or, like, not able to move. <laughs> yeah. Um. I will say something that I noticed and maybe forgotten from previous rereads is Neville, in this part of the book, is, like, so so wholesome yeah he is so loyal Mm -hmm. to harry there's a moment where like the death eaters are like i'm gonna kill neville if you don't give us the prophecy and neville's like don't do it harry don't he knows nothing about this prophecy like (laughs) and like he like harry's like stay back with hermione like she's knocked out he's like i'm not gonna leave you like end of story it is just so and neville is so good yeah in this and i think Again, another thing that's taken away from Neville is Harry really talks about his, like, progress that he's made, especially post the Death Eaters breaking out of Azkaban. He, like, becomes one of the best members of the DA. Um, It just, it's a real shame how Neville, how some things were taken away from Neville. And in the, at the end of the day, I think that really takes away from that final moment of him killing Nagini in the movies. Yeah, I agree. But I just had to shout that out because, like, that was just so amazing. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Also, like, Bellatrix Crucio's him at one point. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, um, then, I don't know, kind of picking the timelines back up together when they go to the death chamber. So, like, all that stuff happens. But in the movie, they just go directly from the Hall of Prophecy to yeah, the death like, chamber. Yeah, they, like, fall... They open the door, and they fall down into the death chamber. And then they're, like, caught right before they fall. Yeah, which, it like, seems like that's part of the room that catches them. Because, like... Yeah. We've seen Hermione and Dumbledore, like, do that before. But I don't think... You don't see Hermione cast that. Yeah, I don't think um, you hear anything. And so... 
also at this point we've already been to the veil room like in the book like they had previously visited that before they got to the hall of prophecies and harry and luna could like hear those voices behind the veil and were like drawn to it yeah where like they're not doing that until now in the movie yeah um one other point from back in the hall of prophecies that i forgot to read is uh sometimes i forget how little bellatrix is actually in the movies because Helena Bonham Carter is so good. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Helena Bonham Carter and being in the movies, I'm sure you've heard this before, but, like, Matthew Lewis actually, I think, mm-hmm. like, ruptured his, got his eardrum ruptured. Yeah. Or, I don't know if ruptured is the right word. That seems very serious. Because, like, Helena Bonham Carter had, like, poked her wand into his ear, like, too far. Yeah. And filming this. <laughs> so. Um... So then the order, in the movie, the order shows up. Um, Sirius punches Malfoy, which, it's kind of dumb, but I love it when they don't use magic and they just hit somebody. <laughs> I think it's, I like that as well, but in this moment, it's like he could have stupefied him and Lucius would have been out <laughs> for the rest of the battle. Yeah. Like, it has more consequences than... Like, when Harry tries to fight Malfoy on the Quidditch pitch, you know? Yeah. And in the book, um, the Order shows up kind of, like, like, think shit is really going downhill when the Order shows up. It's basically just Harry and Neville left fighting. I think Neville is maybe, like, getting crucioed or something. And the Order shows up, and it's, like, at the last possible moment. In the movie, they show up, and they kind of, like, it looks like they're, like, flying or they like kind of it looks like they apparate in and then when they're fighting the death eaters it looks like they're like flying around like the death eaters do but they're like beams of light instead of beams of darkness and i think that whole thing is really dumb i had never put together until this watch that the beams of light are supposed to be order members also flying the smoke flying thing in general yeah i have major problems with But, like, the Death Eaters doing it is one thing. The Order doing it is, like, what the fuck? I just, I have a note about that. It's, like, the smoke figures, question mark. Like, I just, yeah, it's really, really The Death Eaters do it throughout the series. Yes. I'm not saying it's better, but at least they commit to that. In this one scene, they were just like, let's have the Order do that. Yeah, but, like, bright white. Whereas, like, the only other person. White and dark. That's supposed to fly, besides Voldemort, is Snape. Because yeah. he, like, throws himself out of the Hogwarts window, and they're like, oh, it looks like he took lessons but from But in the movie, master. he, like, becomes a bat. Yeah. Or is that in the book? I don't, can't remember. I think they might say bat-like in the book. Yeah. Um, and then in the book, Dumbledore's supposed to show up in the Veil Room. And he's, like, taking control, starting to basically herd up all of the other Death Eaters. Because um, they're all, like, terrified when he shows up. And he's, like, putting them, like, basically in handcuffs, if you will. Yeah, I think he mentions that, like, there's a... An later when Fudge shows up, he's... Yeah, yeah. charm on them. Um, but he's kind of, like, wrapping things up in the book when Bellatrix then attacks Sirius. Um, and in the book, she just hits him with a spell... It's mentioned that it's a red beam of light that misses him, and then the next one hits him and pushes him back through the veil. Um, So he doesn't die until he goes through the veil. In the movie, well, Sirius says, nice one, James, which that's a whole other thing that we talked about on the episode. 
oh, we did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say that in the books. No. Um, but in the movie, Bellatrix says Avada Kedavra, and it's very clearly green light. But then Sirius doesn't die immediately like you're supposed to. Like, there's still, like, life in his eyes as he's falling back through the veil. And I'm like, if you're yeah. gonna, like, commit one way or the other. Like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it it was probably a good decision for them to just go ahead and, like, have her say about a cadaver so everybody could hear it. Because, like, having him just get knocked back into the veil, I think, would be too confusing for movie audiences. Yeah. I think in the book it can be explained a little bit more. Yeah. In the movie, I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have created so much confusion and people would be confused whether Sirius is dead or not. Yeah, but then if you do that, don't have him be, like, blinking, like, facial expression while he's falling back like have him be fully well, dead then also like what was the point of having the veil at all honestly but you have to have the veil because it has to be like some like you know like people would have been mad if there was no veil i don't know i feel like it still is pointless people are mad at anyway, there but... in the first place true um yeah also something you didn't mention in that was like tonks was fighting bellatrix yeah. before um, and she, like, gets knocked off. And I think they, like, that's when Bellatrix moves from Tonks to Sirius. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I was, like, I don't, I didn't get emotional in the movie when Sirius died. But honestly, in the book, when I was listening to it, I was getting, like, kind of emotional. Yeah, and just the way it's done with the um, sound cutting out in the movie, though, is, like, really good. And I think it mimics the feelings you get from Harry in the book really well mm-hmm. because in the like book, everything stops everything does stop and like all there is is Lupin holding him back and so I think that like that was a really smart way of doing that and it like I usually tear up in the movie when I watch it I didn't this time um but it, it makes it more powerful I think yeah I think in the book sorry I know I talked about Jim Dale not too long ago but he in him reading Lupin's dialogue in this moment, he literally, like, has his voice crack. Yeah. Like, he's holding back tears, like Jim Dale when he's voicing Lupin. And it is just so heartbreaking to hear that. But moving on, Harry runs away to chase Bellatrix, and he tries to crucial her, but it doesn't work. And in the book, Bellatrix is the one that kind of taunts him and is like, you have mm-hmm. to mean it. In the movie, it's Voldemort's voice inside of his head yeah. at this point, kind of saying, like, you have to mean it. You have, like, you hate her, don't don't you? Like, she killed Sirius. Do it. Do it. And then he appears behind Harry. Yeah. And so the first thing... I know we talked about how good this duel is, um, so we don't have to talk about it a ton right now, but the first thing that happens in the movie is that Dumbledore and Voldemort's wands connect. That's not supposed to happen. Literally, it's unique that it happens. Yeah. With Harry. Like. Yeah. I don't know. Like, but then the it goes up from there. It's really cool from there. I do wish that they had Dumbledore like use the fountain like he did in the in the book. Um, but I get that that would have been like a lot more work to kind of like animate. I guess yeah. would be the word. Um, but like I said, 
really cool. I'm glad they committed to showing some, like, dope magic and not just, like, throwing each other around. Yeah. I also really like the moment when Dumbledore, like, Harry tries to get up and Dumbledore, like, pushes him back while he's still, like, casting a spell. He, like, throws him back with magic, which kind of mimics that in the book. I'm pretty sure, like, Dumbledore, like, puts Harry behind one of the fountain, like, figures, um, mm, for the, yeah. for like the whole entirety of the duel. Like he like has him kind of off to the side protected. Yeah. And then Voldemort disappears and takes over Harry's body, which I don't know how I feel about this. I know that it also happens in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how much I love the idea of Voldemort, like, if Voldemort didn't disappear, it would be one thing, but, like, he disappears, and it's implied it's that, that like, now he's in Harry's body? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. It just is kind of a weird decision to me, but I guess it also take like, if he didn't disappear, like, Dumbledore would have done something to him to make it stop at the same point. Yeah. I don't know if it's implied that Voldemort just, like, apparates somewhere else inside the ministry and is doing it from there, but it, like... In the movie, it feels like he goes inside of Harry, you know? Yeah, it's very unclear. It's better in the book, obviously, because he's, like, he uses it. He's, like, telling Dumbledore through Harry, like, kill me, like, kill me I know, me that's now. so heartbreaking. Um, whereas in the movie, it's, like, not really clear what his goal is. Like, I guess it seems kind of like he's trying to corrupt Harry. Yeah, but I think that... Like, I think the whole, how it all happens is weird, but I do, I think it's, like, the way of having the message that, like, Harry is stronger than Voldemort because he has love. Yeah. It's so cheesy, but I swear to God, every single time that Dumbledore is, like, telling Harry, like, you can overcome this, and Harry, he, like, sees Ron and Hermione, like, show up in the ministry, and then he sees all these flashes of memory, and the first one he sees is that shot of baby Hermione running at baby Harry, um, and hugging him, and it's literally, that shot, I just, I love that shot, like, I cry when it happens, like, in the movie, but then when they show that, and then it's, like, a shot of Ron laughing, I literally tear up every single time it's so emotional and And then then, to hear like daniel radcliffe slash harry like saying those words like i feel sorry for you like you have basically saying like you have no reason to live like i have things that i love people i care about that give me a reason in this fight to defeat you like you have none of those and i feel sorry for you it's just like i think that if he you just had those words i'd be like that's kind of cheesy but the way that they show those shots and the fact that it's like it shows like Hermione, Ron, and then like Sirius and Lupin, and then it's just like Ron, Hermione, Ron, Hermione, Ron, Hermione, Ron, Hermione, and it just like, you know, I love a good friendship. <laughs> you know how I feel about Harry and Hermione's friendship, and yeah. like, literally anytime there's like this some like moving friendship moment in any series, it gets me so much. Like, I don't know why it just like hits me and this part of the movie I just like I break down it's so beautiful because like it just reinforces how Ron and Hermione have become his family and like this is a boy who has had like everyone taken away from him except for those two people and it's just especially at this point it's so beautiful 
yeah, I will say in the movie, it doesn't come off quite as bad as it maybe could have because we had just seen kind of those flashes of like bad moments in Harry's life. So it wasn't like, like, I don't know. And it kind of echoed the way that they had been showing Harry's dreams previously, too, yeah. just, like, snippets and scenes. So that kind of made it work a little bit more and not be quite as, like, cheesy or like yeah. weird-looking. I will say, one thing that is weird-looking is when Voldemort is in Harry's head, and there are those scenes of him, like, and then the, like, sky just, like, moving behind him. And, like, when Voldemort is talking to Harry, do you know oh, what I'm talking yeah, about? yeah, 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 yeah. It is, I don't know what it is about that scene, but um, I can only picture, this is going to sound so weird. So, you know, in like uh, romantic, like cheesy things, there's like that like really funny shot of like the Fabio with like his hair flowing back and like the screen goes like, that's like all I can think of when I see that, those like scenes of Voldemort and like the background just being kind of like smoke flowing behind him if you don't know what i'm talking about about. with the voldemort scene specifically like you're you're gonna think i'm crazy but go back and watch it you'll you'll pick up on what i'm saying (laughs) and now you won't be able to unsee it but and then fudge shows up and sees back and i was like duh you idiot and like literally i have like i have three more notes um, in the I book, there's a substantial amount left because... I can tell you that there are 47, about 47 minutes left <laughs> in the, if you're listening to the audiobook at 1.4 speed at this point, so. <laughs> um, so in the book, like, Dumbledore explains some stuff to Fudge and he's like, I can give you 30 minutes. Like, in the meantime, there's some ex- of the escaped Death Eaters, like, I rounded them up for you and... He sends Harry back with a port key, and he's like, Harry, I'll be with you in 30 minutes. And takes care of business, and then Harry and Dumbledore speak, like, until the sun comes up. Harry throws shit around Dumbledore's office. Um, this is, like, the out- when he has that, like, outbreak, not yeah. outbreak, moment of rage that he kind of, like, alludes to earlier. Like, when I was talking about how he screams yeah. at Dumbledore, this is kind of that moment in the book. And... And Dumbledore, like, shows him the prophecy. Like, he tells him more than he's ever told him. He tells him why he needs to say it per bit drive. Um, this is the point a lot of people say he should have told him the full meaning. Everything. Um, everything. I don't know. I guess I don't, that's a whole, I guess that's a whole other episode. Um, but I think that reading that chapter does a lot of redemption for Dumbledore over the course of the book. Um, because he is very... He explains things, but he doesn't defend himself. He fully takes blame. He says the only person at fault for Sirius's death is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just... I don't know. I really... Like, I highly recommend people reading that chapter. Maybe that's another one that we should break down. But if you haven't read that chapter in a while, if you don't want to commit to reading the whole book again, don't, but go read that chapter. Um, Because I really wish that more of that was in the movie. Um, Because I think it does a lot of work for Dumbledore. Yeah. I don't think either of us are kind of firmly in the, like, we blame Dumbledore for everything camp. At least I'm for sure not. Um, I definitely lean more towards like 
Dumbledore being the great person that he's Mm -hmm. kind of on the surface is made out to be. I do think that he made mistakes, but at the end of the day, like the core of who he is, I don't think is this like manipulative, like person who used Harry. Yeah. Like some people think he is. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there while we were talking about Dumbledore's redemption. And then kind of another big thing that's cut out from the movie that's brought up a little bit in this scene, but is kind of just throughout the rest of this book, Harry kind of being in denial about Sirius's death, um, Mm -hmm. kind of being confused about what happened because he did just fall through the veil and disappear. Yeah. And I think Dumbledore does like semi-explain, like, you heard them on the other side, didn't you, Harry? So. Yeah, and so... There's that whole long conversation with Dumbledore in the book. In the movie, the scene in the Gryffindor dormitory is actually deleted. It wasn't in the version I was watching. Um, but oh, I, really? I saw it in, when I watched on TV recently. Um, it was in my DVD version. It wasn't on the version I was watching. Like hmm. the scene where he says, like, I burned these. The I burned what? The, like, curtains on the bed. Oh, he says that, that's, and then they have a little combo. I didn't think that was in that this movie. I thought that was in, like, Prisoner, when he says he burned the curtains. Maybe I'm conflating things. Because it definitely wasn't in the movie I just watched. But I watched a oh, bunch of them on TV over break, over the holidays. Oh. there, there. He, like, this conversation does take place in the, okay. co- I think I'm in conflating the dormitory, them. though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where not much is said. Also, just a side note about the prophecy. I don't... The wording is neither can live while the other survives. Yeah. Harry's immediate reaction to that was, so one of us has to kill the other one? Like, no, Harry, I don't think that means what you think it means. Like, that's, that's not what it said. Um, but yeah, I just... And, like, that's never really... It's just... Harry accepts that as, like, his life mission now. Like, it is now his sole purpose is to kill Voldemort because that's what the prophecy said he had to do. Like, that's not really what happened, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then the other things that the movie skips are Harry, like, finding nearly headless Nick and talking to him about being a ghost. And then, actually, I guess they show the little, they show most of the scene with Luna. Um, Mm -hmm. with her shoes and people hiding her belongings so sad yeah Um, well and I think that like in the book it's mentioned that like Harry stops kind of like thinking about Sirius and thinking about Nick when he has this conversation with Luna he like feels this feeling that he later realizes is like pity mm. for Luna and so I think that's kind of it's it's kind of a big moment it's like the one emotion and the one thing that kind of gets him out of his funk with Sirius at Mm. this moment in time at least um he's able to feel something for somebody else whereas I think at this point in the book he's like solely thinking about himself like he's not thinking about anybody else's feelings but his own and then this this conversation with Luna helps him feel feelings for her (laughs) if that makes sense yeah and then the movie kind of wraps up. Just they're they're walking to the train. Harry's wearing his suit jacket, Harry's you know, his casual, blazer. normal. His corduroy, uh, his corduroy blazer. blazer, and he's like, "We have something worth fighting for." 
Like, yeah. It's really cheesy. Yeah. Um, the endings of these movies literally are always cheesy. But Every single one of them. The ending of the book is funny because they yeah. take the train back and then the order is waiting for them and they go well, and intimidate the Dursleys. Yes. Yeah. But Draco they and also, Co. Yeah. try and attack Harry, but he was like, little did they know, like, the, the cabin or the compartment next to us was full of DA members. And so Literally, just, at the end of every book, I feel like, I think it's just four and five, but at the end of four and the end of five, yeah, a bunch of people hex Draco, Crab, and Goyle at the same <laughs> time on the train. <laughs> like, their family sees them this year, like, again, guys, <laughs> come on. Yeah. But the order, like, waiting for Harry and then, like, talking to the Dursleys at the end is a real wholesome moment. Yeah, well, Arthur calls it a felly phone or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that wraps up the movie and the book. Yes. Let's go to our overall thoughts. All right. I feel like I've said most of these already. Yeah. But I want to make the claim that this movie is not bad. I enjoyed watching it more than I thought I was going to. I think I often group this movie with Goblet for some reason, um, but it's like exponentially better than the Goblet movie. It's There's definitely a lot of stuff missing, um, but it's still like an entertaining movie for me, whereas I cannot watch Goblet. Like it pisses me off to watch Goblet. Um, I think the biggest miss for me is the Battle of the Department of Mysteries. In the series, the book, the books, that is the coolest and most interesting battle. It's way more interesting than the Battle of Hogwarts. I will die on that hill. Um, and really, it, my favorite battle is the Battle of the Astronomy Tower, you know? Listen, I love that battle too, but you still <laughs> see a lot of it. I was um, joking. And it just is not done justice at all in the movies, although they do redeem themselves with that duel a bit. Um... But yeah, there's a ton of stuff missing. Some major plot lines not included or not done justice. Like Quidditch, Creature, Hermione and Ron as prefixed, um, the Inquisitorial Squad, Spoo, Dobby, Fred and George, Occlumency, <laughs> Harry and Dumbledore's like, fractured relationship, Hagrid's story, and like all of the like pieces of the order, like you mentioned, like Sturgis and them. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of stuff I listed that's not in it. I still stand by that this movie is still enjoyable. And the other big thing is like a lot of just stuff just get moved out of order. Um, a lot of the stuff gets flip-flopped if it, before and after Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I have similar notes. I have this movie isn't really that bad. Um, it is tasked with adapting the longest book into like... <laughs> a two hour and 10 minute movie basically like the runtime is two is 222 so there's probably like what 10 minutes ish of credits yeah there's a lot of credits um so i mean it has a it has a big job to do um i think it does what it needs to do to tell the essence of the story of the order of the phoenix if that makes sense like it hits kind of all those beats that have to be there to tell that story and I think that some movies that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. i.e. Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. um, basically a different story is told in that one than in the book. Um, they shorten a lot of the scenes, and so the audience gets a lot less like explanation and exposition. But that's going to happen with whatever movie adaptation you get. Like 
not having the benefit of being in the characters' heads, like, really hampers a movie's ability to tell complex things and adaptations, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, movies that do it well, it's very impressive. And kind of, like, going back to what I was saying, at, like, in the first episode, I really don't understand especially in 5, 6, maybe 7, but especially in 5, 6, how people can not have read the books and understand what is going on in these movies. And I think specifically kind of with the prophecy, with the introduction of Horcruxes, those two things are like, I feel like not explained well at all Mm. in the movies that I think really hamper an audience's ability to understand what is going on and see the bigger picture. Again, Quidditch not being in this takes away from a lot of, like, side storylines that we've already talked about. You know I love a good montage. (laughs) So the montages of this movie are prime. I also have a note here that I love the Daily Prophet motif that is used throughout this movie. It's something I don't think I've ever noticed before, and I really like it. Um, My last note is that there's, like zero to none character development for anybody but Harry in this movie Mm. whereas in the book this is like a really big book for Ron um growing and kind of like him playing Quidditch and gaining confidence um Ginny as well kind of her becoming the (laughs) badass that we all know Ginny to be throughout the books and Neville I kind of touched on this a little bit when we talked about the battle the department of mysteries Neville's growth is really stunted in this movie mm-hmm. like he's in it quite a bit but like it doesn't do what it he doesn't grow as much as he does in the books as in the movie yeah I agree. and then the Cho and Harry romance is such a small part of this movie which I don't know if I have a real problem with but <laughs> yeah it's what it is one more thing that I realized I think we mentioned in passing but we didn't give a lot of time to that isn't in it is the quibbler um yeah Brita Skeeter interview and like that turning the tides for Harry and the teachers be- all being on his side and that's it's a really good really good moment yeah whereas like in the movie it's kind of portrayed through the Seamus like apology yeah. as like the Dementors breaking or Dementors the Death Eaters breaking out of Azkaban yeah. being that where everybody's like oh shit Harry was right. Where that is actually, like, in the book, that's kind of, like, what starts to turn the tides, and Hermione's mm-hmm. like, we gotta jump on this. Yeah. I think it's all I got. It's a wrap. <laughs> Damn. That was a big one. <laughs> big two, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm really, this, this has been flying by, sorry, this is kind of not related, but I remember when we started doing this movie series, especially doing it every other month, I'm like, we're gonna be watching these movies for, like, two years. I feel like we just did the first movie, like, a month ago. Yeah, and I, I need the month in between, I think. I think it's good, like, to pause it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it does feel like it's been going quickly, and I do feel like I've had, like, a continuous, like, I'm watching them in order, and it's not, like, large breaks in between. Oh, yeah, and speaking of kind of overall throughout the movie, something you mentioned earlier reminded me that something I don't think I've picked up on before we do these is how much is moved around in order and combined Mm -hmm. in the movies um I know we bring that up every time we kind of clarify the timelines and I've never really thought about how different the timelines in the movie are from how the timeline in the book Mm -hmm. works yeah so I think that's been interesting to kind of like see that and realize that throughout these rewatches yeah for sure
monsters are as old as tales themselves. But what makes those stories fit into the kaiju genre, and just how scary can they be? Larry and Justin are pursuing this very knowledge on the Here's Johnny podcast, a horror show that arrives every week, just like your favorite radio drama, but instantly through forbidden sciences known as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. There are a ton of kaiju out there to learn about. Just listen to your local emergency officials and stay out of their paths. Wait, say that again? Uh, sorry, folks, I'm getting a message from our staff. Uh, folks, we're getting reports that a massive creature has just risen off the coast of this station and is heading this way. Please follow evacuation protocol and... Listen to the Here's Johnny podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So, moving on to our pop quiz. It should be no surprise to anybody that it is. What is your favorite scene from the movie? All right. So we got a few responses on the group, the Facebook group. Leia said the scene where Sirius dies and the sound cuts out when, while Harry screams, gut-wrenching, and almost redeems the movie. Um, totally gut-wrenching. I also, I feel like, Leia, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you've said before that one of your favorite characters is serious, so bold that that's your favorite scene from the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alex says, when Harry's getting stressed and the twins operate in and make fun, then the extendable ears fun and games. Good choice. Um, Justine said, when the twins leave Hogwarts, the twins getting some love here. Yeah. Linda said the scenes in the ministry... Which I assume she means, like, the battles, not the hearing. (laughs) Probably. Or I think um, I kind of read that as, like, liking the set, like, setting of the ministry and how it looks in the movie. Which I know we talked about in the first episode. I think looks really cool. Yeah, for sure. And then Sal said, when you have, you have to admit Dumbledore's got style. Iconic. (laughs) Iconic line. I feel like I might have gave this away. But my wait, wait. Let me try and guess then. If you think you gave it away, is it the Dumbledore Voldemort duel? No, more specific. Oh, more specific. Oh, the like happy montage that plays on Harry's head. <laughs> it's when they show Hermione, little baby Hermione, hugging. When they show a scene Harry. from a previous movie, that's your favorite part. Is that what you're telling me? No. I mean, in general, I love the montages, but I know that's going to be your answer. Um, mine's, no, mine's definitely just that, like, that happy scene in the middle of all the darkness. Okay, so I know you said that I'm going to choose the montages, and that's what I thought going in. You're now just really going to be contrary to that? Which montage? No, no, no. When I, okay, so I was like, my, f- before I started, I'm like, my favorite scene is the GA montage. Like, mm-hmm. that's some good shit right there. Yeah. And then I watched the movie, and I cannot remember for the life of me what scene this was, but I was like, oh, never mind. This is this is it. This is my favorite scene. Is it Fred and George? I don't know. You always I do don't... this. Can you write it down <laughs> next time? Oh, my God. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was like a – I don't think it was like a big moment. I think it was like a little moment. A little baby moment. I can't remember what it was. Okay, so it's the DA montage, and you're just trying to think of something else because you're embarrassed that I called I don't it. want to be predictable. No. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, if I think of it, I'll, like, post in the Facebook group or something. Um, 
But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's the DA montage at the moment. <laughs> Stay tuned if it changes. Also, just like a side note, call for help for anybody who's still listening to this behemoth of an episode slash two episodes. I have a couple like ministry decree posters and I would love to get frames for them that kind of look like the frames in the movie Mm. so if anybody like knows of a place that does that or knows of a frame that is like semi-similar hit a girl up okay so um all right (laughs) what are we talking about now oh uh you can find us anywhere you get your podcast if you still want to listen to our podcast after (laughs) How long we just talked. Um, and I feel how, like we're like, making it feel when we must sound. <laughs> I feel like we're making it feel like they've been listening to this episode for five hours when in reality it's only been like two to two an hour and a half, but we have been recording <laughs> for like five hours at this point. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, go leave us a review. We work hard on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, support us on Patreon. We work hard on this shit. Um, you can follow us on social media at Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our Facebook group at Wizard Studies Podcast Group. You can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Wizard Studies. And you can support us on Patreon if you search Wizard Studies Podcast on the Patreon homepage. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.